Oh, so we do. Okay, welcome everybody. No music. All right, we're just going to go. Oh, good good planets are hard to find. Myself. I can't hear myself. So. Um, Hello. Okay. Uh, welcome to the show, folks. Uh, we're going to play the intro in the second part because uh, we're going to track that down. Um, and I'm forwarding it to you right now, Andrew. So you'll you'll have it in a second. Hang on. <laughs> just talk amongst yourselves. Well, it's a sunny morning this morning, which is bizarre. It's like, what is that bright light out there? Uh, and uh, I don't know. It's a big, big spotlight I out there. I don't know. Welcome to the show. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and it's brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts because... Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. All right. And that's all we need to do because the guy standing right there... Mr. Uh, Bartlett. Uh, himself, his self... Uh, Scott Jamison from Bartlett Tree Experts is in studio today because it's one of those shows where we talk about your tree care. You should get on the phone, 877-711-5611, and, uh, or Twitter, or Facebook, or Instagram. or and, uh, and we're talking to our interns today. Who knows? We might even do TikTok. Oh. Okay. Tic Tac. It, it, it hurts me. Those are those little mints. Right? It hurts me even to talk <laughs> about TikTok. So uh, we will, uh, you know, the the there's only response, one response you can have to that. Oh, I need the uh, I need the prod cop <laughs> up there, uh, uh, Andrew. Let's try this again. Shut up, Wesley. Okay, there we go. Uh, as we said, Scott Jamison is in studio. We're talking trees today, and I need to do a shout out. To my kitty, uh-huh. Lagata, who is 10 years old today, Aww. and it's Lagata. her birthday. Groundhog Day is her birthday, and how do I know this? Well, she appeared in our backyard in the middle of the year, and we took her to the vet, and we got the her you know neutered in the ear clip. We thought we were going to let her go back because we thought she was feral, and then she that's no feral cat. No. Uh, and then the vet said, yeah, she's about six months old, so I did a little back time, and I went, oh, Groundhog Day. Okay, that's her birthday. So there you go, and that's how my kitty got her uh, her birthday. Uh, is, I, and I thought that's the perfect time. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because Scott, and and again, we we talk tree care issues here, but we also talk about arborists, yes. and and you, which is really weird on on uh, in Microsoft and on Facebook. You type in the word arborist to get the squiggly red line. Can we get? people to understand that that's a real word, Scott. Yeah, we need a campaign for that, right? I yeah, think we, we do. do. I think that would yeah. be a great campaign. Yeah. Uh, but arborist is a real word. And what is an arborist, Scott? It's it's simply someone who takes care of trees. You know, arboriculture is the, the science or the care mm-hmm. of trees. So an arborist is someone who takes care of trees. Woody plants, I mean, you could talk about large shrubs and things like that, but really arbor, arb, it's tree, arboriculture, care of trees. Uh, yeah. Arboriculture yeah. or arboriculture, yeah. however you choose to pronounce it, is another one. You type that in, you're going to get the squiggly line. Right. So, and and this is not new. This is stuff that's been going on been for a long for time. centuries. Yeah. Uh, and give us a, a, a quick uh, overview of Bartlett Tree Experts. Well, we're we're a hundred ten year old company. Uh, uh, started on the East Coast in uh, the Connecticut region. We're not from Bartlett, Illinois. Wonderful mm-hmm. town, but a lot of folks think so. I think that you don't we're, specialize we're, in Bartlett pears. Yeah, in fact, I, w- I was in Einstein's Bagel this morning, and they see my logo, and they're like, "Oh, I live in Bartlett." And so, well, we're we're not from Bartlett. It's <laughs> it's a third generation family. Uh, Robert Bartlett's our um, 
our CEO, who, by the way, uh, is is going to be getting the um, Hutchinson Medal from the Chicago Botanic Garden this year. Wow. It's not out publicly, but I think I can talk about that. So it's the highest honor. So that we're the, breaking that news yeah, right here on this, this show. Should, yeah, I'm quite quite uh, thrilled by that. In fact, it's um, I think the only arborist that ever has received that uh, was 1954. Another arborist in the area got that. So it's really that's their highest honor. So uh, we're quite proud. But but Robert, uh, third generation family, he's taken uh, this company to 2,500 employees and. Uh, 130 offices around the world, uh, including 10 in London. Uh, we do a lot of work uh, for a lot of the palaces and, and places there in London. But uh, here in Chicago, we have four offices. Uh, okay. Uh, and there you go. That's how we get started. Now, see, we've got all that out of the way, which means that when we come back from the break, we can dive right into tree care. And I mentioned my cat, Legata, because you're going to talk about Sometimes cat, cat rescue sometimes. Cat rescues and trees by our <laughs> do that, yes. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. Scott Jamison is here. We'll be right back. When it comes to tree care, it's all about the science. Well, there's love and history and family, too. But you definitely want the best science for your trees. That's why you should contact Bartlett Tree Experts at Bartlett.com. With 120 offices around the world, including Canada, England, and Ireland, Bartlett is the largest residential tree care firm in the world. Their work is backed by the science of the Bartlett Research Laboratories in North Carolina. They pioneered integrated pest management or IPM in the 1970s, introduced the first organic fertilizer, and now Bartlett is the first and only tree care company to research the benefits of biochar on urban soils and tree health. At the same time, they're focused on you and your needs, meaning that they'll do the right thing for your tree and you. Put science to work for your trees. Get a free estimate today because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Hello, this is Brock from Hero Power. Dirty Power is suffocating Chicago. Stop paying for coal to burn and choose the easiest way to switch to clean energy today. Hero Power offers a no-hassle option for Illinois residents to pay for renewable electricity sources like wind and solar and keep paying the same rate as they did with ComEd. The same rate. It's a no-brainer. Your money goes toward renewable energy and you avoid long-term contracts, termination fees, or the need to schedule another appointment. You can do all of this in just three minutes and drastically reduce your carbon footprint right now. So don't just complain about climate change. Do something about it. By switching to Hero Power, you take a huge step towards cutting carbon emissions and utilizing our natural wind and solar energy. It's a reliable and convenient way to switch to paying for premium electricity at no extra cost. Let's fight for a clean energy future together. Get clean energy in just a few clicks at MyHeroPower.com. Enroll today at MyHeroPower.com. Hi, this is Karen Hudson from Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water. You're listening to Smart Talk. The Mike Nowak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. On the lighter side. (laughs) Local firemen were called out an hour ago to try and rescue a nine-week-old kitten stranded on top of a huge elm tree on Maple Street. So far, the frightened cat has eluded their grasp. (laughs) Poor little pussy cat. (laughs) Lighter side, that's terrible. (laughs) Poor little furry thing. (laughs) Oh, golly, I'm 
come with you, pussycat. Hey, don't be afraid, little pussycat. We're just trying to help you. Rob, you okay? What's the matter? There's a cat caught in a tree. Honey, you heard about it, too, didn't you? Are you all right? Oh, I'm fine, honey. I'm okay. Hi. Rob, listen, I got something important to tell you. Oh, they got the cat down. No. <laughs> Get the cat. Oh, honey, I'm ashamed of you. Rob, will you listen to me? You got a telegram. From the kitty? No. <laughs> It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Okay, folks. No, you're not having a flashback here, and we'll just fade that out. No, it's the second uh, segment here. We have the opening and, you know, it's not such a bad thing because often you guys tune in late and you don't hear the countdown and the... They're the, still getting their coffee. The comedy yeah. bit I do at the top of every show. So we got to play it late. And I wanted to do that in purpose because that was, of course, the the Dick Van Dyke show. And, uh, and, I, and, and I'm going to wave to our interns. Uh, anybody ever heard of the Dick Van Dyke show in the studio there? Uh, Andrew has. The other two? No. Oh, you have? Hannah okay. has. All right. So, Hannah... Uh, we have to have a Kayla a little chat, okay, about Dick Van Dyke. Uh, but that was a very funny bit about the cat in the tree, and the reason is because Scott Jameson is here from Bartlett. Go to Bartlett.com, Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, and you've done this before, haven't you? Uh, one time I did, yes. Just but, once? Just once, but arborists are known to uh, have to re- rescue cats on a regular basis because the fire department... They do not do that, you know. That they, uh, no. no matter what you hear on the Dick Van Dyke show, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they will not do that. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so our, we commonly get that uh, call of, uh, on cat, and that the the cat story I had was this goes back twenty five years ago when I was <clears throat> climbing on a regular basis, and uh, we we got a call into the office. Uh, our office was in Park Ridge at the time, and we covered Chicago, and so I got my climbing gear, came out, and. Um, um, Thought it, actually thought it would be kind of a good human interest story, so we called, uh, I think it was WGN at the time, a news station, to come out and, and kind of film this thing. And fortunately, they never found, they never found me up in the tree because I had great fears of trying to rescue this cat that on, on live TV this thing would fall out of the tree. Uh, or you would uh, yeah, do a header. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't. So it, we, uh, But this kitten had been in the tree for, uh, they said, two or three weeks. Oh, my goodness. Meowing at night. And so... Um, that's usually a sign of a cat's been in a tree that long. It's not coming down uh, until it, 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 it gets weak and then it literally falls uh, oh, out of the tree. Hmm. So uh, I climbed up in the tree. It was probably a 50-foot tree. Uh, the neighbors were all kind of huddled down around watching. And the, <laughs> the thing with cats are really, uh, you know, they, they, they're, they're afraid. So they start moving further up in the tree. So I was yeah. at the top of this, this tree. And uh, I've got my little prop. And this, the kitten was about the size of this this uh, stuffed animal here, and I had gloves on, and I was prepared to get uh, um, claws in me, and, and I, but I, I grabbed the cat by the scruff of the neck, which is what you sure. do. And sure enough, as I did that, my sleeve came down, and ooh, it, it sunk the claws right into my wrist, oh. which was a painful experience. But growing up as a kid, I'd always watched uh, uh, 
uh, Animal Kingdom, you know, the Mutual of Omaha, you know, show, and uh, they would always capture the animal in a uh, pillowcase. So I brought a pillowcase with me and uh, <laughs> took the cat, put it in the pillowcase like this, uh, gently tied it up like this, and then uh, tied it to my climbing line and lowered the cat, the kitten, down to the ground, mm -hmm. uh, which was then recovered by, uh, you know, people there. They took it and into the... And then they the, let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, ah, that's very good. They Sorry. let the cat there out go. of the bag. Nicely done. <laughs> So anyway, they took the cat, they took the cat in and had it checked out. And then, uh, uh, what warmed my heart was a week or so later, uh, I heard that uh, the the actual woman that called me. Nobody owned this kitten; they didn't know where it came from. They adopted it and they named it Jamie after me, as Jameson. Aww. I know it was Aww. the it was the coolest thing. So uh, well, I tell you uh, what, take the, take take your kitten out of the bag. Yeah. You're going to do a little a quick uh, photo uh, pause here because I know this is going to end up on Instagram or something. So. Uh, uh, Kayla's got the camera out. I, I left my camera, of course, in my pocket in my coat yeah. somewhere else. But uh, there you go. <laughs> so that you know, it's interesting. And in you know, I've 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 read uh, people that uh, uh, there are arborists that uh, that market this. We don't market this as a service, uh, and and we we actually try to kind of avoid doing it. But if we have to, if there's no other choice, we'll we'll go out. But there are some arborists, not in our area, I've seen on the East Coast that yeah. specialize in this. Really, and, and that technique that I just happened to to. to to use is something that's exactly what they do. That's the best way to get a cat out of a tree. Uh, cats, again, they, they, they cannot climb headfirst down. Their claws are curved inwards. So the only way they can come out of a tree is by backing Back down that tree. Down. And a lot yeah. of times they won't, especially when they, they keep moving up higher in the tree. So yeah. unfortunately, uh, most, most of the time they will just uh, let go and, and fall. Sometimes they survive that fall. Sometimes they don't. Um, you don't see skeletons in trees, so they don't just stay up there and die. Mm. They they ultimately let go and come. And come You're making this a lot sadder than, <laughs> yeah. it, than it really yeah. is. It's uh, a good Sunday morning. They, they are, but uh, that's the arborists have done that, and uh, that's the technique that uh, that can be used to save save a cat. But a lot of times, oh, they'll come down on their own. Sometimes they will, but often they have to jump or they fall. They 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 don't readily climb sure. back down. Uh, are there other animals that get caught up in trees that uh, you have to rescue, or just cats? We've we've done a you know we'll get calls for uh, parakeets or you know cockatiels that have mm -hmm. flown out and it's uh -huh. sitting in the tree. Now, obviously, they have an advantage on us when we climb <laughs> up to the tree; they can fly away. Yeah, so, they're just kind of messing with you guys. So, so those are ones where we just politely decline and say, you know, unless unless it. It will come to somebody. Uh, you know, I've not personally been involved, but some other arborists have. Mm -hmm. You know, taken food up, or they they call them or something, and they'll come and they can they can grab them. But uh, often those are the most heartbreaking because those birds, once they're out of the cage, boom! You know, they're gone and they are taunting yeah. you. You know, like, hey, come and get me, and then they fly to the and then they fl and, uh, yeah. yeah. My parents lost a, a parrot on their back porch, and because uh, and they because it had flown out in the back. For, and here's a story I remember: it flew flew out in the back, was sitting basically on the back porch. And then, of course, the neighbor comes and goes, I'll help you get the parrot. And then <laughs> it flew away. Yeah. Thanks a lot, neighbor. We've, uh, we've rescued some uh, raptors, uh, uh, and that requires a, a license. We have some folks that, um, that have a, a federal license to uh, capture or, or you know, grab onto hawks and things like that. Anybody uh, who just can't. They are federally protected, mm -hmm. so sure. they're injured. So we've had some people that have been uh, – uh, trained to do that and have the proper licensing for, to do that, and usually they're they're injured in some way and they're up in the tree and and they just they just need a, an arborist helping hand. Yeah. So we've we've done that a few times. You know this this idea that arborists are called upon to do almost <laughs> uh, superhuman uh, feats uh, at trees is is amazing because it's something I don't think the average person thinks about when they think about bringing an arborist uh, to their home. Um, and, uh, that's why I asked when you mentioned the cat thing, I thought, 
I wonder what else they have to do. As you mentioned, yeah. raptors might be part of it. Yeah, and, 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 you know, we, we're not called to um, take care of raccoons and things like that, but often arborists will encounter squirrels and raccoons in trees, and that yeah. that can be a, 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 a really scary situation when you have someone you're hanging from a tree 100 feet up and all of a sudden a raccoon pops out uh, or a squirrel is not happy that you're there. And we've had arborists mm-hmm. attacked by both of those animals. Uh, nothing serious, but you get a bite from one of those, you got to go in you and gotta, take, yeah. you know, take care Especially because raccoons tend to nest in yes. in holes in in trees, especially oaks. Yeah. And if there's a litter there and you don't know it's there. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember years ago in Oak Park, we were removing a tree, and we uh, when you when you make that final cut, you make what's called a pie cut, right, uh, in the in the base of the tree, and that then is if the, the stem falls over mm-hmm. and it lands safely. And we made that pie cut, and that part of the tree was a little hollow. And out popped three raccoon little baby Aww. heads out of there, and they scurried out just in time before that tree was was falling over. So wow, uh, yeah, it was. It, I wish I had a camera because it was it was quite cute to see these like little raccoon yeah. eyes. You know, like, suddenly we, he, he was in the middle of a Walt Disney film. <laughs> All right, yeah, and when they lost their home, but they always find. You know, yeah. I'm sure. Uh, uh, well, it's same with woodpeckers and other birds will tend to be in the in the dead portions in the cavities. Yeah. And we and we have to. Uh, uh, be conscious of that. And if we know there's animals in there or uh, birds especially, and in some parts of the country we work, they're protected species. Uh, and in fact, um, when the um, uh, black crown night herons are nesting in Chicago, we mm-hmm. can't work on certain trees. Certain parts of the country, we have certain uh, species that nest and you have to stay out of those trees for a particular time frame uh, while they're nesting. So we have, arborists, again, have to just be aware of those uh, local laws, in some cases, federal laws. And, of course, that's all part of the arborist training, I would assume. Yep. I, I mean, you tell them, this isn't going to happen very often, but you better be ready for something like exactly. this, right? Yeah, yep. you've got to know those things. Well, that's that's amazing stuff. That's Scott Jamison from Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, and now we're going to get away from critters. And let's say it might, it might come up again. I mean, if you've got a critter question, 877-711-5611 or on Facebook or on Twitter and all that. Um, we've had an interesting winter mm-hmm. so far. In that uh, we just got uh, information from our meteorologist Rick DeMaio yesterday, and how many degrees above normal did he say each six, month was? Was six point eight something uh, like that? It was. It was in the realm of six degrees above normal mm-hmm. uh, for each month, December okay. and January. Right. Um, that changes the equation for you guys uh, in doing tree work a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, a couple things. I mean, one, we, you know, a lot of times we save our uh, certain work for the wintertime, uh, pruning oaks and elms, which need to be pruned in the wintertime to prevent disease spread for this time of year. And a lot of times we want to get our equipment in the backyard. And if the ground is not frozen, which it has not been that you know, uh, solidly frozen, it's tough to get our machinery back in there. And it also mm-hmm. uh, protects the uh, uh, perennial gardens and things like that uh, when they're frozen. So that has been a problem. But we've also been seeing some freeze-thaw cycles on trees so and, and shrubs. And mostly these are the conifers, uh, uh, the, the plants that hold their needles or, or leaves uh, or evergreen-type plants. Um, they um, transpire uh, when the, the temperatures get warm. So they start to evaporate water. And if the root system is not active, which it's typically not this time of year, mm-hmm. and, and often that ground is frozen, they can't replenish that moisture that they're losing through mm-hmm. their leaves uh, through that, these warm, sunny days like today. Like today... Those, those uh, uh, stomata or, or pores in the, the, the conifer leaves will start to open up and moisture will start to, to leave. And it's going to be windy today, so that just exasper- exacerbates yeah. that, that drying out. And it can't, they can't, the evergreens can't pull water out of the soil right now. 
Because typically, well, t- they could they could now here in this area it, because our ground is not frozen. It, in most places, it's not. In some places, it is. Uh, you know, yeah. around the country, up uh, we have offices uh, office in Minneapolis. That ground is pretty well frozen, so you get this sure. sort of thing. It's going to start to dry out. But so it depends where you are. Yeah, and you, you right, have, right. It, exactly. But yeah, if the ground is if, if if there's moisture available, it can be pulled up. But again, the roots are just not active, so they're not actively pumping that moisture. So it has to be almost like a straw effect that that occurs. And that's not as effective as when the roots are actively um, um, functioning. You know? uh-huh. So they're still asleep this time of year. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned something actually very important, and uh, that's because I'm aware of the ground freezing and thawing and being unfrozen right now. Why? Because I'm having work done on my home. Now, we're going to talk about it on the show very soon in the next few weeks because uh, Ron Calgill and his crew from DNR Services, which is... Uh, he does Mighty House radio program here uh, on Smart Talk. Um, they have been insulating my home. This is a big deal uh, for me. We got a grant from the city to come in and do blow-in cellulose into the walls, which and they've and they've been drilling holes all around the house. And then they take a hose and they blow in the cellulose. This morning, I was getting. I mean, the the house is still a mess. I go up to the closet upstairs. Uh, this mm-hmm. morning to get my underwear and there's cellulose all <laughs> over it. And I realized there was a part when they were blowing in last week, there must've been a crack in the wall and it blew all into the closet there oh and it's covered <laughs> my clothes. So <laughs> I've got to be uh, tossing those. But the the point I was going to make is they've been outside doing a lot of yeah. this mm-hmm. on yeah. my garden in front that that soil is so compacted right now. It's mm-hmm. going to be re, I'd be really interesting to see what comes up. And they were going, "Hey, look at the shoots coming up!" And I went, "Oh my goodness, they trampled the daffodils too." Okay, mm-hmm. now the daffodils will probably recover yeah. from that. Yeah. But the soil itself is all compacted, and I think before the season starts, I'm going to have to get out yeah. there and try mm-hmm. to loosen it a little You've bit. You've got a lot of perennials up in that bed, oh, too. Oh, yeah. It's going to be t- And that's one of the things you run into when you're doing this. Yeah. That's why Scott says it's better if the ground's frozen. Yeah. All right. We got more tree information from Scott Jameson of Bartlett Tree Expert. It's a Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Whether you're a garden professional or a fervent amateur, explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders. Cultivating Connected Communities on March 27th and 28th is a gathering of diverse ideas and people at Allen Centennial Garden on the University of Wisconsin campus. You'll talk about resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, and more. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. Just a closer walk with Scott Jameson from Bartlett Tree Experts on a Sunday morning. A beautiful Sunday morning. There's some sunshine out here. I don't know what it's like in your neck of the woods, but we haven't seen the sun since 2017. So uh, we're very happy to have uh, it with us this morning and melt some of those piles of snow. And it's been a weird also winter. We were talking about the ground in this area, and I'm talking about Chicago area, but you know, if you're in Minneapolis or if you're in uh, state uh, college, I got a feeling it's similar 
uh, to what we have. Minneapolis is a little colder. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're in Rapid City, a little colder. Um, but it's been up and down. And one of the things you talked about, and I want to get to trees, uh, dead trees in the yard in a mm-hmm. second. But one of the things you mentioned earlier, Scott, was trees budding out. And I, for a while there, I was afraid they were all going to start budding out and we wouldn't be able to stop it and then would wreak all kinds of havoc, wouldn't it, at that point? Yeah, it would. We we see this a lot. I mean, this year, um, it's it's a little warmer, of course, but um, most of the tree's activities are based upon uh, light, periods of light. So as as the, uh, even the, the, the temperatures do get that activity going a little bit, but it's the light uh, sensitivity that really moves the uh, processes within trees, and that really doesn't change a whole lot. So uh, trees continue to follow uh, the the uh, number of hours of sunlight within the day, and as that increases, that's when they kind of wake up and say, hey, I've got more more light, more photosynthesis opportunities, and that's what starts moving the trees actually to their full function. But you'll start to see some stirring, uh, certainly when, when the warm temperatures occur. Uh-huh. Uh, but here, it, here in the Midwest, the trees go into this kind of deep dormancy, so they often don't awaken as quickly. Uh, other parts of the country further south, it's kind of a, a lighter dormancy, if you will. And so when you do get some temperature changes, well, they'll start, they'll start flowering, they'll start pushing their buds, things like that. We just we haven't seen that too often here. When we do, though, it typically is that early part of spring coming right out of the winter, and then you get a cold blast that comes in. We'll see that with magnolias, right? They mm-hmm. start to bloom, and they just get blasted with the cold. And that's a, that's a rather common thing. And fruit trees as well. Fruit trees as well. We'll get the, really hit. Every year, I mean, every winter is interesting for me as an arborist because uh, as you come into the spring, we always see different species affected differently by the by the winter. So this year is another atypical year, and we just don't know yet. We won't until spring and even late spring yeah. on how some of the plants will react to what's going on right now. Well, I noticed how much the how how much bigger the magnolia buds seem to be this year. Oh yeah, well at, at my house they're just yeah. like they're swelling. Hitting, yeah. yeah, I think again, yeah, yeah that temperature is yeah. just yeah they're starting to you know pump some you know material fluid through there and getting getting ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you just don't want you know you don't want a week of sixty no. degree temperatures no. because then right all heck breaks right. loose. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, we we got a uh, a notice here on Facebook. Um, let's see where are we here? If I can find it, it was about. Here we go. About the dead don't, trees. Don't remove dead trees from your property if they are in a safe place. Decaying trees and logs contribute greatly to the nutrient cycle of the forest, replenishing the soil. Uh, that is the comment from Catherine who wrote that. And I would say uh, critters. It's a, it's habitat, habitat right? too. But they're... There are problems with that, too. So talk to folks about if they want to keep a, a dead tree in their yard. Well, I think that the comment uh, on Facebook was a good one, in, if it's in a safe area. And we have many clients that have uh, woodland areas behind their manicured you know, garden areas where most people don't venture. So you know, having branches fall and stems fall, it really it doesn't pose a risk to anybody. But for us as arborists, uh, that's the number one thing, you know, ensuring safety of a property. And so you don't want a standing dead tree where it could fall on somebody and and um, hurt them or, or, or kill them. And so in, in situations where we people do want to leave a standing dead tree, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll try to talk them into cutting that tree to a safe height and maybe just having a single large trunk uh, that could be a, a, a nesting cavity for woodpeckers or other critters, but something that's not going to readily <laughs> Or raccoons over. where or you raccoons. can climb yeah. up and surprise. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's what we typically uh, do. But, yeah, if you have a wooded area, a forested area, let those, let those trees uh, stand in their fall and, and, and recycle those uh, nutrients back in the soil. That's, that's absolutely right on. Uh, I, and uh, we were 
during the break mentioning the dead uh, ginkgo that I have in my yard. <laughs> yes, Mike killed a ginkgo. First ever. I, yeah. I, yeah, first time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's part of my problem here. It's like I'm the guy who's gonna who's gonna kill a ginkgo. Uh, but right now, it's it seems pretty secure. Uh, it's not gonna fall on anybody, and uh, that's at least what you know. I'm I'm hoping is the case, and if it looks like it's going to be dangerous, uh, uh, I will I will remove it. In fact, I will give Bartlett a call <laughs> if I need it to get it out of there. Which takes me to something else. All right, folks, if this is a great time of year to have somebody come out and look at your trees, uh, and Bartlett tree experts will will do that, and they will make suggestions about what you can do. Um, I know a lot of folks have trees and they think, I really should get an arborist out there. And I haven't. And or I need, been, someone's got to come out and look at this. I've been meaning to yeah. do this for a long time. All right, I'm going to do something. And I'm sandbagging Scott here because he didn't know I was going to do this. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say for the next week, if you give Bartlett a call, uh, go to Bartlett.com. You, you pop in your, uh, your zip code and you can get the Number, yeah. office near you. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you then you give me a holler at the Mike Novak Show, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter, or send me an email, Mike at MikeNovak.net. I will make sure you get an autographed copy of Attack of the Killer Asparagus. Wow. So they're 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 becoming <laughs> collectors' items. There's not too many of them left in the box, um, but uh, that's the book I wrote uh, about uh, all kinds of things in the horticultural world. Uh, none of them serious. And uh, if if you just get Bartlett out there to take a look because I can guarantee right now they're going to show you things you did not know. Don't you think? Well, and it's a great time of year, uh, to, and it might be counterintuitive, but it's a great time of year to take a look at trees because this time of year when the leaves are gone, we can see broken branches, uh, branches hanging up in the trees. We can see deadwood, believe it or not, sometimes even better than when the leaves are on. We can take care of things like um, uh, rust on hawthorns. It's a great time of year to prune hawthorns uh, for those that don't want to uh, – make applications to control rust. You can prune out the cankers that cause that rust this time of year. And Would you explain what rust is? Rust is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a foliar disease that gets on hawthorns, and it's, it cycles with arborvitaes where these galls kind of go back and forth, the spores, but essentially causes spots on hawthorn trees, some crab apples, and those spots can often kill back branches. And mm-hmm. so this time of year, we can see where those, uh, those spots on the branches might be infected with that and prune that out this time of year. So this is this is just a a great time of year for arborists to take a look at trees and see what's what's going on. Yeah, and that's why I I, I say it. Uh, and folks, everything's in dormancy right now. So again, it's a good reason to have somebody come out and and take a look. It's not going to affect your garden. Uh, do it because they're the experts. As I said, they're going to show you things you didn't even know were there. And if you do it this week, just write to me. And I will send you an autographed copy of Attack of the Killer Asparagus. And you know what? Maybe I'll throw in a little extra goodie as well. I'm just saying. And it doesn't matter where you are in the country. Uh, if you're uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, because I know we, we broadcast out that way, uh, do it. Uh, and have one of the bar people uh, come out uh, to see you. Uh, so uh, uh, getting back to trees and, and, and dead trees and that sort of thing, uh, Peggy got a newsletter from one of your folks, Evan Shore. Who's, who's been on uh, this Great program. Arborist, yep. mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about snow and ice and the idea of uh, branches falling 
and the danger of that. And this is also a good time of year maybe to address that as well, isn't it? Well, it is. If, 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 certainly if there's any dead wood in the tree, you want to take that out. But uh, having an arborist inspect the tree for structural issues. We've had some heavy, wet uh, snow events, some icing events, and that puts different strains on, on branches. And uh, although that branch may not have broken, uh, getting an arborist uh, to take a look at the tree, get an arborist up in the tree, they can inspect uh, the, the branches to ensure there's not cracked and then they might come down in the next uh, windstorm or the next uh, snowfall. And that, you know, that's something that we see a lot with this heavy, wet snow. The other thing I'd mention is you don't want to go knocking those off the, your, your, your trees. Let that snow, I mean, we, we may get some heavy, wet snows yet here uh, next week. I no. think they're calling for some, yeah. Uh, Yay. Yeah, you don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to go out and shake the, you know, the, yeah. the branches. Just let that come off naturally because you can actually cause more damage uh, doing that than just letting it. Uh, and if it's and if it's your ginkgo, maybe maybe you'll kill it. You never. Yeah, yeah. yeah shake shake the branches on the ginkgo. <laughs> That's right. What a jerk move. Yeah, I know. It's what a jerk move. I mean, how, how many people have, have you killed... left that tree as wildlife habitat then at this point? Or yeah, it's still, it is. It's a standing dead. It's tree. a standing dead tree. It's standing dead ginkgo in my backyard. And uh, as I mentioned during the break, the squirrels love it. The birds love it. Uh, I don't have any raccoons, so yeah. I don't have to worry about that. But they love it because they can get from one area to another very easily in the backyard. And an ed structure. I also have a partially dead heptacodium, but uh, that it, that died, and now it's coming back. So it's one of those things. Monument where... to poor arboriculture. Oh, <laughs> no, 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 monument. Who knows why heptacodiums die? We, they just do, I guess. Like, like uh, red buds. Yes. Uh, they just sometimes up and die. All right, I'm going to take more abuse when we come back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. Illinois has become a national leader in solar energy installation, and right now you can save 60 to 70% on installation costs. You want it for your home or business, but you don't know where to start. So give our friends at Albright Solar a call. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions, and we've worked with them for a decade. They're good people, and they know their stuff. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. 2019 marked 20 years of Faith in Place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November to April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. We could still have no. They don't have it anymore, do they? I don't know. You got to have pumpkin spice latte. Uh, they probably have in some winter. syrup bottles it's, in the it's, back. It's like the Christmas lights. Um, I'm still turning mine on at night because oh. it's. I call them winter yeah. lights. Oh, nice. I've actually seen a lot of them, like and, um, and a lot of driving in, in some my, neighborhoods. And a lot of people in my neighborhood have been leaving mm-hmm. them on, and I'm thinking it's the darkest time of the year. I want something to cheer sure. me up, yeah. so I I pop them on every now and then. Yeah, my, mine are mm-hmm. still up. I, I haven't taken them down. They're just not turning on. At my Schiflera but... still has the uh, the lights on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my tree this year because nice. it's eight feet tall. I just decorated it with lights cool. and it looks great cool. what can i tell you welcome back to the mike novak show with peggy molecki we've got scott jameson from bartlett tree experts here go to bartlett 
Com. We got a couple of things we want to talk about before we get out of here. And one of them, uh, the dreaded volcano mulching. Why do we have to bring this up on every show? We do have to bring it up on every show because people keep doing it. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, it, it's it's all over. And this is another good time of year to kind of you kind of see it in the stark landscape. You can really see again this. And again, the term volcano mulch comes from mulch and or soil that's piled up high on the stem of a, a tree, and it looks like a volcano. And and uh, it, this is you know a good time of year now that it's not frozen is to go out there and pull that mulch down. You want to see the the root flare, which is that 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 tapering or that that flaring out of mm-hmm. the, the stem as it meets the soil. You you want to see that. Uh, and not have it covered up by by mulch. And uh, in, in my town of Arlington Heights, uh, they're doing a really good job trying to educate the citizens. Uh, we've got a tree keepers group out there, Arlington Heights tree keepers group, that are led by some fantastic folks that are going after that, uh, leaving flyers on doors and trying to politely educate folks, uh, not offend them. <laughs> um, but one of the one of the reasons this happens too is is with our uh, our landscape contractor friends that haven't necessarily been educated on this either. That what they do when they when they cut the uh, circle around a tree. They'll, and, and they'll often pile up the soil because they don't want to take it away. And so that they, there's nowhere else for that soil to go or mulch, so they pile it up around the stem. And so that, that uh, soil on the stem causes potential rotting and decay and issues with that tree. And it also uh, prevents uh, oxygen exchange at that very important soil uh, interface there with the, the root flare. So you want to pull that away for a couple reasons. That's what's going on. Oxygen exchange. Now that's yeah. interesting because yeah. I uh, assume that kind of happened at the uh, the tips of the roots uh, where they're more fibrous. But you're saying it happens also. It at the also base happens of- around that what we call root collar, where that that stem uh, goes into the soil. We call that the root collar, the root flare. There's a lot of different terms for it, but that's a that's a real sensitive area, and when that's covered up, uh, we we see problems. So, all right, move the, that away. So, stop volcano mulching yes. your tree. And if you see a company doing it, say you're doing that wrong. <laughs> that right. that will endear you to them. Uh, but they are; they're doing it wrong, and people do it. And and I get asked all the time, why does this still happen? And arborists like you scratch their heads and say, we don't know. It's just ignorance, and it just keeps. Getting it really at- is education. I mean, nobody's yeah. tra- typically trying to to actually harm a tree. It's just education and and habits, breaking mm-hmm. habits. People that have done this for years, so yeah. it's, it's breaking habits. All right, salt. Salt. Uh, yes. Fortunately, we haven't had to use a lot of it in our area. Other people uh, might have had a lot more snow or ice. Um, here's a, a study at uh, the MWRD, which is the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District has a new message, which is go easy on the salt. And basically the way you do that is you stay ahead of the game. As soon as uh, you get snow, you shovel it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you do use salt, you use a little bit. They're saying a 12 ounce mug of salt will suffice for a 20 foot driveway or 250 square feet of sidewalk. Uh, if there's salt left on the ground after the ice melts, too much was used, basically. Mm-hmm. So you know that's your clue. Mm-hmm. If the if the the snow melts and you still see salt, ah, cut back next time. Um, a 2018 study revealed that changes in salinization have affected 30 percent of the drainage area of the United States over the past century, most prominently and most rapidly in the eastern and midwestern areas of the country. The use of road salts is a prime culprit, the study concluded. What about trees? Because often you don't have a choice if the city's salt in the street and it's spraying onto your tree. Right, right. Well, so the, the damage occurs because salt does what? It's a, it's, it dries out uh, the, the roots typically. So it's pulling that moisture to the salt molecule, the, the sodium that's in the soil. And so 
Um, we have a we actually have a salt recovery program. Bartlett does. I would think any good certified arborist would have a, a program like that. But essentially, what you want to do in the spring is flush that salt out, and and we'll often use. Uh, uh, something called exalt and and sugar cow, which is a material we mix with water. It grabs onto that those sodium uh, molecules, grabs onto that, and then you can flush it out of the the, the tree root zone. And so, by getting rid of that, is it, you're moving that sodium away from the tree roots and, and stopping that drying. How do you know when to do that? Uh, you know, we we typically do that uh, at, at again the beginning of the spring season when you know there's not going to be any more salt added to the the. So you wait. So but... you wait. Yeah, you don't do this now because. You, you want to wait until that kind of spring season. All right, salting's over. Uh, we've got rain, so a lot of times that you know natural rains will wash that salt out. But if you use these surfactants that grab that sodium molecule, it grabs it and it pulls it away from the tree a lot, a lot easier. So we've seen some really good success. For years, it was gypsum, and gypsum's part of this. But now there's some other materials on the market that grab that sodium even more effectively and, f- and flush it out. So the average consumer can buy these. Yes, products? typically it might be hard to find, uh, but uh, yeah, they're they're out there. Exalt is the name of one, and then uh, as I said, it's a uh, sugar cal is the other one. But we mix. Uh, Sugar Cal? Yeah, K- C- C- C-A-L, yeah. Okay, yeah. and X-Salt yeah. is E-X? E-X-A-L-T, uh, it's a soil surfactant. Oh, X-Salt. Yeah, X-Salt, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. X-Salt, yeah. I get it. So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's really effective, and that's in areas where there's a lot of salting. I, we, I used to do this a lot when I worked downtown, um, uh, and that was my arboricultural area. And, and, you know, they use a lot of salt on the mm-hmm. plazas, obviously, because of the risk. And that salt then would flow into the pits and uh, where the trees are at yeah. and have nowhere to go. So we would use gypsum quite a bit to, to counteract that. And what about uh, alternative uh, salt products like uh, magnesium chloride and calcium chloride? Yeah, I always say go, go that route. Uh, you, you can, there's all sorts of things out there, but you'll read plant-friendly and all that sort of stuff. And some of that actually works better than salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, depending uh, on the temperature. Exactly, depending yeah. on the temperature is exactly yeah. right. And what was interesting, the MWRD article also pointed out it's not melting the ice, it's melting the uh, where the ice and the pavement are. And so that you're not looking for oh, the you salt mean, you to mean melt the, the your in, ice. The interface? Yeah. So okay. That was in the MWD, the MWRD article. So, yeah. You know, when you use huge amounts of it, you're not actually melting the ice. Uh, it's just accumulating. Yeah. And again, and my neighbors are always like, it's... Everywhere. Salt for days. And I... They and like I, hearing the crunch, apparently. Uh, well, <laughs> I think people do. I think when they feel the crunch and they think they, they've done a good job of putting salt down, yeah. when it's kind of, no, that's not it. That's too much. Now you're, you've, you've gone yeah. too far. Okay. We got like uh, 60 seconds here. Anything you want to uh, wrap up with? Spotted, lan- spotted lanternfly. I'll just, it's been mentioned. It's an invasive uh, species. It's uh, really heavy on the uh, East Coast. It's on the border of Pennsylvania and Ohio. Mm. It's being trans- transferred by egg masses on uh, things that are man-made. So we expect to see it here. It's a sucking insect. And it drops a lot of honeydew. And uh, if it hits the uh, grape crops or the hop crops in the U.S., we're going to have a big, big problem with this pest. Wow. Okay. Spotted lanternfly. We will talk about it more on the show. Uh, Scott Jamison, thank you so much for being here. Go to Bartlett.com. Remember, call them this week for an evaluation. You'll get a free copy signed of Attack of the Killer Asparagus. All right. For uh, folks on the network, we're out of here. Everybody else, stick around. Go green or go home. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Worf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. 
That is incorrect, Mr. Warp. Killer Asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. And so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, the second big hour. We've got the correct intro music and everything. Mm -hmm. We didn't get it for the first hour, but we got it for the second hour. We're making progress. Yeah, we had a nice preview of the first hour and the second hour. (laughs) I know. Uh, In in case you were just listening, yeah, that guy you heard, he's gone. He just walked out the door. But you can catch it on podcast, and you can catch it on Facebook Live on the rerun. Uh, That's right. And on used tubes. Used tubes. uh, On the used tubes and on the... the used tubes. and And the periscopes. Uh, for anybody who who does that, because it's they stay up there on Twitter as yeah. well. Uh, we had some good news uh, a couple of days ago. We'll get to uh, promoting our our fellow radio folks in a second, but I wanted to do the good yeah. news first. And uh, this was in fizz dot org, not f i z z, but p- fizzy p h y s, as in physics dot org. Um, Monarch population up 144% at Mexico wintering grounds. They get a ding for that. Now, before you all start uncorking Doing a happy dance. the champagne, uh, this is I'll give you the good news, okay? Uh, this winter, researchers found that butterflies occupying 14, almost 15 acres or 6.05 hectares of pine and fir forests in uh, Mexico um uh and uh, it's an increase from the 6.12 acres or 2.48 hectares a year ago so it's a it's a significant increase in the area where butterflies are overwintering in Mexico um and uh, it's the biggest measurement i guess they mean uh yeah oh okay yeah the biggest number Largest number since the 2006-2007 period. Um, And, of course, you might remember in 2013-14, there was a low of just 1.66 acres. And Mm -hmm. we're talking acres, which was 0.67 hectares. So we've gone from 0.67 hectares to 6.5 hectares, which is like a tenfold increase. Um, Now, they do say, uh, let's, let's... Uh, Ryan Norris, an ecology professor from the University of Guelph in Ontario, Canada, said it would be dangerous to think the improved coverage in their wintering grounds means the butterflies were out of the woods. It buys us time, but that's the best it does, said Norris. 
Uh, NORA saw little connection between this year's increase in the concerted conservation efforts along the butterflies' migration route, especially in Mexico, where the government, with the help of local communities, has nearly eliminated illegal logging inside the butterflies' protected area west of Mexico City. So this is good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't fixed it, okay? No. We're, but this is good news. Yeah, and one of the articles I was reading said the fact that we had that ice storm that came through in April kept the butterflies south, so they there were a lot bigger, uh, stronger of a population. Yeah, flying it was north. it was a perfect storm yeah. of good weather. Yeah, basically. and this no. year if it's if it's warm. All bets are off. Yeah, they said it was the Goldilocks effect this year. Everything was just right for the Monarchs, so it's not... Okay, let's do this real quick before we break. Hey, don't miss Gabby Road with Hannah, Fred, and Justin. This Sunday, they're going to be joined by Stephen Chalowitz. As, as in today, like yeah, right, after today, our, yeah. right after our show. Yeah, Stephen Chalowitz, host of the One Way Ticket Show, and meteorologist Ginger Z is talking about weather around the country and Groundhog's Day. And Groundhog Day. That's Gabby Road Sunday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time right here. Followed by Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall with Playtime. With Bill Turk and... Carrie Kendall. And then the Elizabeth Alfano Show. Um, premier vegan uh, meals for the Super Bowl today. And that's going to be uh, from 3 to 4 right here. What's this? What's that? Is the Elizabeth Alfano Show. No, no, no. That other thing you were talking about. A bowl? Some kind of bowl? Um, yeah, like, right. like like nachos and we're coming we're talking <laughs> about slaughterhouses in Chicago next. Stick around. That's not just a tree in your yard. It's an investment. It's a windbreak. It's a natural work of art. It's part of the family, which is why you want Bartlett tree experts to care for your trees. Now is a great time to go to Bartlett.com and see what they can do for you. Did you know that winter is a prime time to have your trees pruned? One of the reasons is that without leaves, the structure of the tree is easier to evaluate. Also, it's a great time to inspect your trees for any visibly hazardous conditions or structural issues. It's also easier now to work around a garden when the ground is frozen. Even during the growing season, Bartlett utilizes the most effective and environmentally sensitive methods to control tree pests, such as beneficial insects to manage the bad insects. And did we mention that Bartlett is the industry leader in safety? Whether it's a small residential project or a major commercial renovation, contact an Arborist representative at Bartlett and get a free estimate because every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Hello, this is Brock from Hero Power. Dirty Power is suffocating Chicago. Stop paying for coal to burn and choose the easiest way to switch to clean energy today. Hero Power offers a no-hassle option for Illinois residents to pay for renewable electricity sources like wind and solar and keep paying the same rate as they did with ComEd. The same rate. It's a no-brainer. Your money goes toward renewable energy and you avoid long-term contracts, termination fees, or the need to schedule another appointment. You can do all of this in just three minutes and drastically reduce your carbon footprint right now. So don't just complain about climate change. Do something about it. By switching to Hero Power, you take a huge step towards cutting carbon emissions and utilizing our natural wind and solar energy. It's a reliable and convenient way to switch to paying for premium electricity at no extra cost. Let's fight for a clean energy future together. Get clean energy in just a few clicks at MyHeroPower.com. Enroll today at MyHeroPower.com. 
Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook and YouTube at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net or also at TheGreenDivas.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on the Smart Talk Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up to get our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. I like the fact that the, the good Lord's Moises are in high demand. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This past week, and by the way, you should know, that's Ezra Furman and the Harpoons. Uh, that's, a, okay. that's a great song. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but it's cool. Um, at, this past week, uh, there were a series of events at Northwestern uh, University um, and I managed to sneak in on one of them. There were some luncheons and some panels there. Uh, they were doing a campaign against factory farming week. Um, uh, uh, and uh, as as part of that, uh, there were a number of guests who spoke. The Animal League Defense Fun uh, was kind of behind this campaign, and Northwestern picked it up and ran with it and got uh, a bunch of... Northwestern Law School. uh, Law School, yes. Thank you. Um, And um, uh, Robert Grillo, who is in the studio with us right now, was was on the panel I went to on Wednesday. So was our friend Karen Hudson from Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water. Um, And uh, we actually met with uh, Robert a couple of weeks ago uh, to talk about I, – I, I ran into him at Can TV when you were doing a show with Frank Avila, and I did a show on soil, and you were doing one on slaughterhouses in Chicago. Uh, and a number of you listening might be surprised or you might not be surprised to hear that uh, there are still slaughterhouses in uh, the city of the Big Shoulders. And I realized that by looking it up yesterday that it's the city of the Big Shoulders. Mm. Um, I went back to look at the Carl Sandburg poem, Chicago, um, and it's Hog Butcher for the world, not Hog Butcher to the world. It's it's mm-hmm. you know all it's those little, mutated over the years. It, well, mm-hmm. you know, and you learn stuff wrong, and then you mm-hmm. memorize it, and it's you no. Know, uh, for the longest time, we were the Hog Butcher for <laughs> the world, um, and now we're at a point where those slaughterhouses are starting to disappear. Right. Uh, and uh, thanks to uh, the work of people like Robert Grillo, uh, who's in the studio with us and Free From Harm, uh, his organization, and uh, also Slaughter Free Chicago and Slaughter Free Milwaukee. And we'll get to Slaughter Free Milwaukee in just a second because we have a, another guest on Zoom. So, Robert, welcome. Thank you for coming in. Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, so <sighs> you've... Uh, you're working really hard. I, I, I posted on on, uh, on my blog. You can go to MikeNovak.net, um, and uh, there's a video of you the other day speaking to the health department in a, a, a meeting they had. It wasn't much of a – it said it was a confrontation. It really wasn't much of a confrontation between you and the health department director. Uh, but you did manage to, to get the your, your sentiments felt uh, in that meeting, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've been to, to two of their public meetings, uh, which is the Board of Health. 
meeting. It's the public meeting. And we thought it was a good opportunity because the commissioner, Commissioner Arwady, is there. She's part of the meeting. And she's the, the most powerful person in the Department of Public Health. She works very closely with the mayor on initiatives, on health initiatives. So we thought we'll take our chances and we'll show up for the public comment period and see what kind of time we can get. The first time we went there, we got about four minutes. The uh-huh. la- we had three people. The last time we went, um, we had 12 people, and we got about 10 minutes of their time. We showed them video inside of video footage and photos that we took inside of slaughterhouses uh-huh. to show them the violations of, that they were not finding, that their inspectors don't find, yeah. and asking them, who are these inspectors? What are they doing? I'm surprised you got that much time. That's, that's actually considerable mm-hmm. time. Uh, in, in a meeting that lasts about an hour? Yeah. That's considerable. That's, yeah, definitely. So tell us about Chicago. Um, how many slaughterhouses are still in the city uh, and under what kinds of conditions are they run? Well, we, we think there's um, about 13 left. And there's two large animal slaughterhouses that slaughter hogs, or we call them pigs, um, pigs, uh, sheep, and, and uh, goats. Um, and then there's uh, the rest of the other, besides those two, the rest are poultry slaughterhouses that slaughter also rabbits. Rabbits can be slaughtered in poultry markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, and they're scattered all over. There's a few up here in, in this area, like uh, Western and Devon. Um, there's one that was on Lawrence that's closed down now mm-hmm. on Lawrence Avenue near um, California. I, I um, saw one, like Fullerton further west too yeah there's one john's you might be thinking of john's live poultry on on fullerton yeah so um yeah i mean as far as like you know what what you see when you go in these places um you see filthy squalid conditions uh you see animals that are in crates uh, that if we're talking about poultry for example uh you know you'll find just crates stacks of crates of birds with hundreds of birds in them and they're forced to just languish in these crates for hours and sometimes even days because they slaughter them to order oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Well, that means the truck delivery could come and the, the birds get delivered and then they, they just languish without food and water. And they're, they're forced to squat in their own waste and they're dumping waste down into the levels of all of these other birds. So it's just a horrific mess. There's and and they that, might not have been fed on the way over it either. It might they have may had, have been, yeah. Some of these places order birds as far as California. Why? I don't know. But all the way from California. Imagine the, that could be a four or five day journey. Who knows? And yeah, by the time they get here, some of them show up, they're dead. They're diseased. They're, uh, some are on top of others that are, look like they're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the conditions are appalling. They're worse than anybody could even imagine. And, you know... When you when you see it for yourself, you uh, it's the only way to really understand. Because otherwise, you have this abstract idea, and you think, "Oh, it's a quick, painless death, and then it's over." Well, far from it. It's the exact opposite. That's what you would hope happens, but unfortunately, that's not the reality. As you know, not just in uh, uh, those slaughterhouses, but in factory farms, mm-hmm. um, which is you know why Northwestern Law School was having this series of panels this week to to call attention to that. I was sitting in there looking at the students and I wondered you were you were in front of did it look like it, you were 
having an impact at all that it was getting through to these law students that maybe this is not such a good thing? Yeah, I did. I felt like there was a really good eye contact and engagement with the students. Some of them were nodding their heads. Some of them were like noticeably moved by certain things that were said. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, I think it definitely had an impact. Uh, so you're faced with something that I'm faced with as a radio show host here. Uh, I, I'm going to say, fortunately, most pe- I, you know, we're not showing any photos on our, our video mm-hmm. stream because it's, they're, they're very disturbing. I've been to your website. I've seen, I've seen what you had. You brought some photos to a meeting mm-hmm. with, a, with Peggy and me the other week. Um, and, and what I really want to say is, yeah, I know what that's like. Please don't show me any more photos. But as you mentioned, if people aren't aware of what that's like, it's kind of a necessary evil. But that's got to be a a sword that cuts both ways for you because it's going to drive people away. And yet at the same time, you have to compel them to act. Exactly. So how do you deal with that? Well, you know, like let's look at the let's look at the civil rights era for as an example. Um, Nobody wanted to to look at seriously at the at the atrocities that were taking Mm -hmm. place in the South in cities like Birmingham or Selma. Nobody really wanted to look at that. Um, They thought, oh, yeah, that's a terrible thing, what could be going on there, but nobody in the North really wanted to pay any attention of it. What Martin Luther King Jr.'s strategy was to um, to stage uh, activism down there and to expose what was happening, and what he did is he showed how, how, how the authorities retaliated against peaceful protesters, his the civil rights peaceful protesters, how they were... Uh, water hoses were used, how violence was used against them. And that got all over the news. Um, that got into the uh, public's attention. Um, and that got people to say, wow, this is a really serious problem. And so exposure is the only serious, I mean, exposure is the only way to, um, to, to move the dial in the direction of change. Sunlight, so to speak, as we say, you know, transparency, let people know what's really going on. Um, Is, this may sound like a dumb question, but is there a need for any slaughterhouses in Chicago? No. And who are the customers of these slaughterhouses? Is it going commercial or is this retail? Uh, Retail. Most of it is retail. Um, We think that, um, you know, there's always going to be some people that will, it's rare, but there's some, some people that will defend the slaughterhouses and say, well, you know, it's my right if I want to walk in there and buy something, uh, buy a piece of meat. Well, what, what they're not considering is the fact that what the workers go through, the conditions that the workers deal with, which are extremely dangerous, some of the most dangerous jobs in the, in the a dangerous occupation in the, in the country. Probably physically, mentally, and emotionally. Exactly. Uh, levels of PTSD, um, because of the violence, mm-hmm. um, physical injuries, three times more likely uh, to have a very serious physical injury like dismemberment mm-hmm. than any other form of employment. So, you know, and then you have the communities that are forced to deal with these places. And so when, when you have that person who, set, who defends the slaughterhouse, they're not affected by the slaughterhouse in any way, shape or form. So they can, they can have a privileged position and say, oh, yeah, we should be able to do that. Well, you're not considering all the negative consequences of having that kind of business in your neighborhood. All right. Uh, so you decided you, you tell us about the evolution 
of uh, free from harm into slaughter-free Chicago, slaughter-free sh- cities, and then slaughter-free Milwaukee. And we right. will get to our other guest in just a second. Sure. So Free From Harm was established in 2009. And that's our nonprofit. Um, Free From Harm has a strong web presence. We've really focused on a global kind of audience with Free From Harm for the many years that, that it's been operating. We have a strong social media presence, a strong web presence. Um, the Slaughter Free Chicago campaign started in 2018 with the intention of doing something very grassroots and local. And so uh, SFC is a campaign of Free From Harm. It's an attempt to take a local issue that we care about mm-hmm. that could raise the public's consciousness about the issues of, of the environment and animal uh, protection um, and human health and you know all the things that are negatively impacted by slaughterhouses and raise awareness of that. Then, um, when something amazing happened in Milwaukee uh, in October, um, activist friends over there um, came to us and said, hey, can we set up a slaughter-free Milwaukee? We've got an issue we need to deal with right away. And so that led to then... Um, other other chapters like Slaughter-Free New York City, and now we're talking to the people in Toronto about a Slaughter-Free Toronto so and maybe L.A. So wow. we're kind of like branching out. All right. I think that's a good way yeah. to, to go to uh, our guest. And uh, he is uh, Balaji Venkatesan. Did I get it almost right, uh, Balaji? Spot on. <laughs> and uh, you're you're in Milwaukee, and uh, we got about two minutes here before we break, but we'll come back and and if we don't get the whole story, and uh, we'll finish it then. But basically, uh, you you sucker punched the city of Milwaukee. Uh, you came on the scene about three days before they were going to vote on bringing a brand new facility, and they it stopped dead in its tracks. Can you explain how that happened? Right. So a friend of mine, um, who's also an activist, um, she learned about a proposed slaughterhouse, which until that point in time, nobody really knew that there was going to be a slaughterhouse because they kind of masqueraded that as a packing and uh, logistics facility. Right. That's how they they advertise that. Mm. So once we learned that, we talked to Robert uh, because you know, he's done specific work on banning slaughterhouses in the city of Chicago. So we wanted to tap into that expertise. And, you know, uh, I've known Robert over you know, the last couple of years and uh, they're friends that I've known in a long time. So we tapped into that and then we set up the Slaughter Free Milwaukee. And then we started what, uh, you know, was a campaign to call uh, the aldermen who were representing the r- different districts in Milwaukee. And... Uh, they were going to have a voting uh, the following, you know, in five days, they were going to have a vote. And that was going to determine whether this slaughterhouse was going to be established in the inner city or not. And we learned that we started to um, start a campaign uh, calling the aldermen and everything. And then the day of the voting, we actually showed up with about 60, 70 activists all right, I'm going to hold you right there. We'll finish the story uh, with Balaji Venkatesan and Robert Grillo. We're talking about uh, slaughter-free cities. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. American drivers spend a lot of time going nowhere, from warming up the engine to sitting in traffic or stuck at a drive through All those idling cars surprisingly consume about 3 billion gallons of fuel annually, and that produces about 30 million tons of CO2. Patricia Weikersheimer of the Argonne National Laboratory says that pollution can be reduced. 
Many drivers keep their engines running because they believe that restarting burns more fuel than idling. But research shows it's usually more efficient to shut off the car. Idling more than 10 seconds in your passenger vehicle consumes more fuel and produces more CO2 than does turning it off and starting it back up again. So she suggests that drivers turn off their engines when they're stopped at train crossings or drive throughs School pickup and drop-off zones are especially important places to shut off the engine because that also reduces kids' exposure to tailpipe pollution. Weikersheimer says reducing idling is a zero-cost way to save fuel cut carbon pollution, and improve air quality. And it starts with drivers asking themselves, Do I need to have my engine on now? Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Do you believe plants have the power to change the world? We mean resilient landscapes, environmental justice, urban and regional food systems, pollution purging plants, and more. Come to Madison, Wisconsin this March 27th and 28th to explore cutting-edge ideas with landscape architects, designers, artists, and cultural leaders at Cultivating Connected Communities. A diverse group of professionals and passionate amateurs alike will gather at the University of Wisconsin, and you can be part of it. Go to allencentennialgarden.org and sign up today. Yeah, we don't want to burn down the mission, but maybe uh, we can get rid of a slaughterhouse yeah. or two. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, uh, we're continuing the story. By the way, we have Robert Grillo in studio from Free From Harm and Slaughter Free Chicago. On the Zoom, we have Balaji Venkatesan, uh, who is... Uh, part of Slaughter Free Milwaukee. He was telling his story. Basically, uh, there was going to be a huge facility built in one of the neighborhoods of the city. Many people didn't know about it. Three days before, he starts to mobilize. Then he shows up for the city council meeting. And what happened at that point, Balaji? Pretty much, uh, we uh, had a lot of media coverage. We pretty much had all of the local media uh, present at the common council meeting. And then uh, we showed up uh, in there when they were taking the vote. Uh, and then, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, none of the residents of the area actually knew about, um, you know, a slaughterhouse uh, coming up in their area. So they heard it on the radio that morning. And then, uh, you know, a few people showed up. Uh, and then when they were doing the vote, um, because of all the media and all the attention it was getting, the council decided to suspend the vote and then have, you know, go back to the drawing board, talk to the local residents, and then retool this, and then come back. And that was the first step in what started as a subsequent sequence of steps. And then in a week, uh, the alderman of the district who was sponsoring that, upon talking to the residents and learning the overwhelming opposition to that, uh, basically came out and said, I am going to resign this offer. I'm not going to pursue uh, this slaughterhouse in my district. Uh, Balaji, all I have to say about that is that's not the way these things happen. You realize that, that uh, most of the time people like Robert Grillo come in. Can I have a little more volume there? On uh, Thank you. Um, Robert Grillo come in and it's you work and you work and uh, you might pass the health director in a meeting and you and she says, yeah, 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 we'll get back to you. And uh, But 
coming in in three days and taking uh, somebody like Strauss, which is, you know, Strauss Brands LLC in this multi-million dollar facility and suddenly it grinds to a halt. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so you must have been really, really impressed with that, Robert. We were all blown away because <laughs> the alderman that was the one that was somewhat critical of the bill, of, of the proposal, mm-hmm. was told us there's not a chance in hell that that's going to not get voted. That's going to go right through. Uh-huh. He, he basically told us that you you are wasting your time. What? And this is and, and and to be sure, the, the difference between that and what's going on in Chicago is facilities in Chicago. A lot of them been around for for decades, and they're old and 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 nasty. And this was a state of the art, you know, facility where I imagine they wouldn't have had the kind same kinds of health problems that you have in Chicago, and yet you still defeated it, Balaji, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it's definitely a teamwork, uh, but also, you know, when you say. You know, whether it's a state of the art facility or otherwise, hmm. issues that impact yeah. slaughterhouses, they are common across, right? Whether it's a mom and pop slaughterhouse or well established, um, you know, cases of PTSD, you know, slaughterhouse is bad for the workers. It's bad for the environmental, obviously, the environmental impacts, bad for the animals that are being trucked in. And, you know, like Robert mentioned, you know, I don't know if we want to go into the details of that. No. But, <laughs> Yeah, and people realize that, right? So, uh, but I think, you know, this also speaks to one important stuff, uh, which I'd like to share is when uh, people come together, right? And, you know, like Martin Luther King said, I'm going to paraphrase his thing. Uh, When, you know, our days, uh, our lives start to end when we see bad that is happening and take no action, right? So when good people come together and we take strong, direct action, we can accomplish, you know, things like this. It's, it's possible, right? It might seem impossible, but it's possible because there's a bunch of dedicated people that showed up. Uh, there was over a couple hundred phone calls and emails that were made to the aldermen. And one of the aldermen said they've never in their entire career seen 200 emails come to their inbox. So there you go. All right. So let's go back to Chicago for a second here um, because um, I'm wondering about the inspection process for these facilities. Uh, I, I met, when, when we met a couple of weeks ago, I told you the story of a shared kitchen in Chicago. Zena Murray was, this is in 2012, and uh, she was hounded, hounded by city inspectors because they didn't understand the concept of a shared kitchen, and her kitchen was spotless. Mm. I went in there, I saw it. Right. Uh, and yet they would come out. Every other week or once a month uh, when a lot of restaurants, you know, if you get in one inspection a year, mm-hmm. that might be considered a lot. Um, and yet, so why why aren't these facilities shut down if they're so egregiously mishandled? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's kind of baffling, isn't it? Um, you know, with with Chicago, I think the only way a business gets inspected is if somebody complains. So we, we understood that early on, and we decided, okay, we're going to just flood the city with 311 complaints. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, they reacted. They inspected all of the remaining slaughterhouses, uh, the health, health inspections, uh, BACP, which is Business Affairs and Consumer Protection, said they did their own inspections. They shared their reports with us. And what we found is, yeah, okay, they inspected them probably for the first time in years. Um, but the inspectors, you read their reports, and it's really weird because, like, the when you read the reports, it sounds like it was written in some cases by like a, a young, you know, like a six year old. 
Hmm. I'm sorry to say. I don't mean to insult anyone directly, but it's like the reports don't make that much sense. And it really calls into question, like, who are these inspectors? How are they trained yeah, are to they look trained? for? Yeah. I mean, the department of, for example, the Department of Public Health states very clearly in its food rules code that the bir- birds must be kept uh, clean, healthy, and in good condition. I mean, that's a, just a sick joke because anybody who, who's been to any of these places on any given day can see uh, just how miserable the conditions are for birds, especially. Um, so they're never going to be able to enforce a law like that. That's just one of many laws that they would probably never be able to enforce. They're so unrealistic to what this industry is like. And so we're just getting to trying to get them to a point to say, hey, you know you can't enforce these laws. So you have no business licensing them, right? That's our argument, essentially. And you had something uh, during the break uh, or as we were coming back that you wanted to ask, Peggy. I was going to just ask on, on media coverage because – one of the things I noticed, Balaji, on um, one of the Facebook videos you sent where there was a couple talking uh, that lived in the neighborhood or, or uh, a son and his mother who lived in the neighborhood of how few people even knew these things were happening, that this was even going to be in their neighborhood. So I'm just wondering how is media coverage – I know Veg News has covered it, uh, Jane Unchained, Elizabeth Alfano, we're covering it. There's been a lot of other coverage. How is this affecting it, do you think? Is it getting the word out of people even knowing it's there? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's uh, different avenues, right? Some people exclusively just watch TV, right? Some mm-hmm. people just are on social media on Facebook and Instagram and all that. Some people just listen to radio on their way to work. Yeah. So-, so having a variety of different exposure to this issue definitely reaches a far more audience than we were just sharing that say on social media. Yeah. Right? So, so how are you, you know, is, are you finding the media is um, the, the mass media, the general media wants to hear about this? Yeah. So uh, anytime, you know, anytime there is something that involves uh, the city officials and a big slaughterhouse or, you know, something like this, I think people just, you know, are interested in knowing more, right. Because uh, people are like, Oh, the city is doing something. Right. So definitely there is an interest. Uh, There has been uh, multiple media outlets that have still contacted us because there are still talks about reviving this deal from Mm, the dead. Yeah, Uh, it will rise from the bathtub like, uh, (laughs) what's her name in uh, Fatal Attraction? Uh, So let's get Robert, uh, because we we have like a minute and a half left. What's your campaign here? How, How do people get involved? Yeah, so to get involved, we, we encourage people to go to our website at slaughterfreechicago.com and click on join, get signed up on our mailing list, and, and then you'll get a welcome email to tell you all the different ways you can get started. Um, you can come to our regular meetings. Uh, we have actions. We have an action coming up on February 19th. Um, and, you know, the focus is our is the mayor. Uh, right now, the focus is the mayor, Mayor Lightfoot. Do you, do you have a retention? Um, we went to City Hall in November, and we showed up at her office with 65 activists, and we mm-hmm. sang songs, we chanted, we did great speakouts. People that have experienced slaughterhouses, and, and, um, and they came sh- out to talk to us. But and and the, to be sure, you're, you're doing this in a nonviolent way. That's your whole idea. Correct. With like, Absolutely, mm-hmm. it's it's nonviolent action, um, but it's, it's showing up at people's offices that have the power to make the changes that we want. <laughs> All right. Once again, you can go to slaughterfreechicago.com. Uh, if you're on Facebook, you can go to Slaughter Free Milwaukee. 
on Facebook. You can also go to freefromharm.org. And uh, if you go to any of these sites, and of course on Facebook, uh, Slaughter Free Chicago. So all these places you're going to find out how to take action. Robert Grillo and Balaji Venkatesan, thank you so much for being on the show today. You want to install a solar energy system for your home, but you're afraid you'll be overwhelmed by choices and jargon. You need to talk to our friends at Albright Solar. Albright Solar offers a boutique, hands-on approach to your situation. They know the ins and outs of local solutions. They take the confusion out of the process and make solar simple, giving you the confidence to enjoy your investment. Harness the power of the sun. Go to albright.solar or call 773-887-6446. 2019 marked 20 years of faith in place, empowering people of all faiths to be leaders in caring for the earth. Not only that, right now is the 10th annual season of the Indoor Winter Farmers Market Program. Enjoy fresh local food from November through April at Indoor Farmers Markets, hosted by 16 Chicagoland Houses of Worship on select Saturdays and Sundays. Faith in Place accepts Illinois Link Card SNAP benefits. For a market schedule and more info, go to faithinplace.org. I know I played this earlier, but it's not this version. I played the part with the uh, brass in it. Here's just the piano, and it's just a closer walk with Rick DeMaio on a sunny (laughs) Sunday morning. He's probably walking along the lakefront right Uh, now. Rick, we understand you want the tickets. We have no idea what you're talking about. That's the point. I'm messing with your new intern. Oh, Ah. there we go. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Okay, that's the way it works, folks. You guys uh, taking notes in there? Uh, <laughs> that's... No, no, no. <laughs> Andrew, you too? <laughs> sure. Yes, okay. How did that go, Mike? Uh, long-time long time, uh, caller, first-time listener? Yes, exactly. Yep. That's that's exactly <laughs> what? Uh, how, how that goes. Well, and... we thought maybe you wanted the autographed hey. copy of Attack of no, the that's... Killer Asparagus. Uh, oh, I have several of those. <laughs> <laughs> and he can't get rid of them. Hey, look, Rick, all I got to say to you is... Don't be a jerk. Okay, there we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, however, don't I... Don't ask, I, I, don't ask me any tough questions today. I had two wisdom teeth pulled on Saturday. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Two? I, I, I had a filling. Yeah, I, well, I had a filling um, in my top left molar crack off while I was at the AMS conference in Boston. Ooh. And, um, yeah, so then, like, three days later, I went to the dentist, and he goes, I don't think I can repair that. That tooth has got to come out. And being that it's a wisdom tooth, the one on the bottom has got to come out as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I had that done yesterday. The top one came out lickety-split. The bottom one, Uh-oh. not so easy. Yeah. So you're doing a lot of uh, salt wash in your mouth and, and, and ice yeah, packs. Yeah, you know what, Peg, that, that does work, but. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel like you got a bowling ball attached to your jaw, it's not pleasant. Ow. Ow, 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 I'm ow. so yeah, sorry. I'm, no, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm talking out of the right side of my mouth today. About <laughs> <laughs> oh, you well, usually, there's a joke in there somewhere. Oh, well, he usually talks out of the left side of his mouth, so. <laughs> right, because I don't talk about out of both sides of my mouth, right? How does that work? Right? But I'm bumped. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, uh, you may speak softly and uh, gently and gingerly if you want. 
Yeah. No, I'll be I'll be okay. So, guys, how do you what do you think about the fact that it's the first day of sunshine in what almost uh, twelve days? I think it is. Isn't what, it amazing. What, what is that bright light yeah. out there? Uh, yeah, that's something big. And on top of that, we're actually like having temperatures during the afternoon. You know, well above normal. What's been amazing about the last week, and I was showing this to my students a couple of days ago. Uh, our overnight lows were nearly twelve to fifteen degrees above normal. And when you look at those maps I sent you, mm-hmm. parts of the northern Wisconsin and the UP of Michigan had overnight low temperatures for the last seven days, averaging twenty to twenty-four degrees above normal. Wow! I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's phenomenal. And uh, and here we are. We were talking to uh, Scott Jamison from Bartlett Tree Experts in the beginning of the show and trying to determine whether trees are going to try to butt out, you know, and uh, they haven't yet. But uh, Peggy, right. Peggy's noticed some magnolias with plumper buds on them, and this is what this kind of weather does to them. And we're going to be getting up around 50 today, aren't mm-hmm. we? Yeah, and I, and I, and I, and I still wonder because... Is it the warm overnight lows, or is it the you know the abundant sunshine that helps that helps the buds of the trees? I, I don't know. I think I think if anything, the warm overnight lows you know just just keeps the ground from getting real frozen. So maybe it's more of a a low level thing. You know when we talk about permafrost and things like that. Um, I, I mean I, I noticed that the Great Lakes you know jumped up to six point five percent ice, and then when you look at the areas around northern sections of Michigan and Wisconsin, it seems like most of the overnight low temperatures being incredibly warm were probably due to the fact that the lakes are wide open. I mean, it, it kind of works hand in hand. You know, but we finished up uh, the month of December 6.3 degrees above normal. We finished up the month of January exactly 6.3 degrees above normal. Hmm. And I, I was going back and looking at some of the climate records yesterday and I don't think we've ever had two months in a row like that with such incredible amount of anomalies, except for the winter of, of 2012. So it'll be interesting to see. We would actually have to be 12 degrees below normal for the month of February to be actually near normal for the winter. And again, guys, this, this comes after the fact that we had the second warmest year ever on record, you know, 2019, without an El Nino. So it, it just goes to show you the, the the warmth of the Great Lakes, the lack of sea ice in the Arctic, and the fact that the oceans are just warmer just about everywhere, leading to some of these long-term climactic shifts that also have an impact in a medium term as well. Uh, and as you say that, I'm thinking, in this case, you can't even say this is a, an anomaly right here in the Great Lakes. You're You're drawing the connection to everything else that's going on on the planet right now. Yeah, um, I, well, I, I mean, I, I just made the, uh, the you know, uh, the connection between less sea ice and the the better ability to be above normal for overnight lows, mm-hmm. meaning that you, anytime you get a wind off the lake, you can have temperatures in the mid-30s as opposed to when the lakes are frozen, you can easily get down below zero. So I think, I think short-term it's like that, and the talk I'm going to give... Um, at that uh, event coming up on February 29th, and I know you and Peg are going to be um, at as well, is basically, is there a connection between climate variability and global warming and our weather patterns here in the Midwest and the Great Lakes? And these are always things that, that I have to ask myself as well, because I know someone is going to ask me. So 
Um, whenever I agree to do these things, I, I do them more so as a challenge to myself because I want to increase my knowledge from that standpoint so that when someone does ask that, I just don't give a flippant answer of I don't know. I have to kind of know that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the month of February works out. But even though we'll get cold tomorrow, we'll get some snow on Tuesday and then again on Thursday. In the end, the next two weeks were just slightly below normal. But who knows if we set up with a deep trough out west like we had in the month of November, who knows if February will end up being colder than December and January. It doesn't have to be that much colder to be colder than December and January. And we're already getting to the point where those super cold snaps uh, can't happen. Uh, I mean, you can get you can get them, but... But with the sun's angle. Uh, right, and that sort of thing. Is that right, Rick? Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know what, I, I, I used to always say that the, the middle of February is kind of the end of your super Arctic air, but we had some really, really you know, one or two day cold outbreaks uh, last year. If you remember in the, in the first week of March, uh, we had some phenomenally cold weather. And all I kept saying was, is that could end up leading to, you know, a colder spring, which obviously it did. It didn't lead to a colder end of winter. It just led to a colder spring. All right. Give us a 20 second forecast. All right. So high near 51 today. That'll tie the record. Uh, Mid 40s tomorrow early, then turning colder in the afternoon. One to two inches of snow on Tuesday, and that should be it for the week. Fantastic. We'll talk to you next week, Rick. Thanks so much. I'm going to go. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right. And don't forget to call Bartlett.com or go to Bartlett.com and, and get an estimate, and you will get Attack of the Killer Asparagus. Until next time, go green or go home. Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 